0: Welcome to the John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only.
1: Are you a second or third generation family member working in a family business with a desire to one day take over the operation? Hey everyone, my name is John Chapman and you found me at my weekly podcast talking about personal finance and ways for you to not only grow and build your wealth, but more importantly, how to protect and keep it so you can get the most from life with the money you do have. Today, we interview Michael Van at The Van Group, a strategic consultant that, that helps small and mid-sized businesses To build, maximize, and ultimately realize their full potential, there's often a huge gap in terms of who's providing expert advice to growing family businesses. And Michael's group works not just with companies that are about to sell, but also with businesses that may have 10 or more years before they sell. And the stakes are high for family businesses since it's not just about money, it's also about relationships. So whether you're involved in a family business or plan to be in the future or just know of a close friend, this is an important conversation to be having. Be sure to check out Michael's new book, Buying Out the Boss, A Successor's Guide to Succession Planning on Amazon. You can find it in the show notes. And before we continue, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a rating, and you can reach out to me directly at thejohnchapmanshow@gmail.com at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn. And with that, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone, welcome to the John Chapman Show. I'm joined by my guest, Michael Van of The Van Group, today talking about buying out the boss, what all is involved for family run businesses if there is a desire for multi generation succession planning. So, Michael, thanks for joining me today on today's podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, John. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Michael, give us some backdrop. What does the small business environment look like today? Certainly, it could have changed in light of COVID, but give us some context to what kind of family run businesses exist, how many of them are there, and generally about how big are they?
0: Yeah. So, the family business sector is massive. I think the last numbers I saw were somewhere about five and a half million businesses in this country were, were family owned. And from a demographic standpoint, that covers everything from a little three, four person retailer to, you know, Manufacturers or other companies with thousands of employees. But the vast majority of them are kind of in this sweet spot are probably the most companies in that 10 to 20 employee range, you know, doing a couple million dollars a year in revenue, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. So, depending on the industry.
1: And so if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a, a business owner, maybe even a first generation business owner, there's probably been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get that business to where it might be today. And so if they are thinking about maybe a succession plan or even maybe the next generation is seeing this, like just big picture, what are some of the big risks are at stakes and, and having worked with people over the years, like what do you see as some of the common pitfalls?
0: Well, I mean, some of them are are kind of the simple things like there's with an internal transaction, there's the financial risk, you know, as most of our buyers, you know, who are going to be an internal buyer are in their thirties, their forties, you know, have families, houses, student debt, all that type of thing. So they don't have a lot of the, the liquid wealth or the access to capital that they need to undertake a transaction. And as you know, from where you sit, a lot of our sellers, you know, particularly first generation, that value of they have is in the business. You know, the predominant amount of their wealth is is tied up there. So we have that risk if we have to finance the transaction or go a little deeper than we want for mom and dad. The other side of it, too, is the most important part is the relationship side. You know, this is we're talking about buying out mom or dad, you know, Mm -hmm. or someone who, you know, if we are a key employee, they've been our boss for a really long time. And now we're going to change the dynamic of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you know, business transitions are not easy when you've got third, you know, arm's length parties. Never mind when we've got now we're gonna be talking about this at, at Christmas dinner or, you know, we gotta go in God, my job is at the line here if I can't put this transaction together. So there's a lot of risk that we have with an inside outside a transaction that you wouldn't have just taking it to market.
1: The relationship side seems the biggest barrier, one of the biggest barriers from where I stand. Because if I even just think about my own family and just how important our family relationship is and how tight-knit we are or desire to be, having anything get in the middle of that could feel, it could give a lot of anxiety, you know, to Absolutely. think about how to disrupt that.
0: Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of, of anxiousness. And, you know, and sometimes those relationships are really good between, you know, our children and our, and our parents and other times, you know, they've got their own baggage to them that gets accelerated in this in this process, yeah. you know, because not only do we have maybe some <laughs> some family issues, but we also work together on a day to day basis, which adds some work issues to it. So it can be very volatile.
1: During our conversation today, I want to talk a little bit about your experience, what you've seen in some of the families or the deals that you've worked on, and also touch a little bit on the framework of your book. How does a second generation or even third or fourth think about preparing for the conversation and then prepare to go through a deal? How do they advance it, move the ball forward? And then what does the close look like? But before we get there, talk a little bit about the Vaughn Group, the stuff that you've been through, the background that you have, and the types of businesses that you work with michael
0: yeah so i think we probably mirror a lot of the clients that we work with We're multi-generational so i'm in business here with my father and my mother and one of my sisters you know two of them were, were school teachers so they were smart to stay out of the family business we're entrepreneurial and in addition to kind of our existing you know consulting and professional advisory firm here we also have invested in you know real estate and we own some restaurants and so i've always been very entrepreneurial there's lots of different buckets so we look just like our clients from that standpoint, who've you know taken risks and, and seen some rewards and seen some losses, but have done it as a family.
1: So and, and where do you fit in? When do you typically get introduced or come alongside a family business? Well, it's interesting.
0: We kind of, we've uh, unique in that we work across the life cycle for, for companies. so in a perfect world, we're working with a company five, 10 years before they're even contemplating an like, exit. It might even be longer out, helping them in that value-building stage where they're trying to think about what an exit might look like someday in building that company. Then a lot of times it's, you know, we've got an owner who's thinking about exiting, but you know, he's probably a couple of years out. So, you know, that's a good midpoint for us because it's enough time for us to be able to start to make some changes and think about how we're going to transition. And then we also have a lot of owners that we work with who are just like, all right, get me out today. You know, see, we're going to yeah. get this done now. And you're like, okay, it doesn't give us a lot of time to navigate and maneuver, but let's, let's do that.
1: How many groups fill this type of professional expertise gap? It seems like there could be, on the one hand, very large institutions that do investment banking and underwriting, helping at the final push maybe to to get a business sold. But then on the other side of the spectrum, there could be like the family accountant, the family financial advisor, or their their personal attorney advising them. So just out of curiosity, what's available to family-run businesses and to getting this type of expertise?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people out there in a lot of groups because, you know, I think they're estimating the wealth transfer of something like $10 trillion that's going to occur in the country. So, you know, you hear about a lot of accountants or other advisors who are jumping into this space as a value add. But I would think pure transaction specialists, transition specialists, you know, who are really good at it are probably few and far between. We work with a great group called ROCG, which is a national partnership of transition planning specialists. And that's, what we focus on. So, you know, they, a lot of them came out of accounting backgrounds, which I think you see a lot of planners in our space who do that. So they have the number side of it, but they've also taken on a more holistic look to it, you know, because you've got you to think about this from a team standpoint, you know, you can't look at it just from an accountant standpoint or a financial standpoint or, you know, the legal side of it because there's all these different moving pieces when we're dealing with the level of emotion and complexities of, of families
1: Exactly. Well, speaking of emotions, let's put ourselves and maybe use a case example, either maybe your family situation or something similar to that, because I want to put myself in these shoes, maybe a second or third generation family member there where, where there is an existing family business. And there is a desire to work in that business from a second or third generation family member. And maybe some of these conversations have already been had, but let's just start from the get-go. How do we come together? Maybe the second generation is looking at this as exciting. The first generation is looking at this like, this is my baby and this needs to be handled with a lot of TLC. So how do you families, how do you recommend families get connected for some of these initial conversations?
0: You know, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because it's like a chess game, right? Who's going to make that first move you know, so sometimes it happens by mistake, you know, maybe we've, you know, had a couple a couple scotches or something and we're talking about the future and sentimental and right. someone may mention it in passing that, yeah, you know, think about selling the business, would you be interested? And that opens what we call Pandora's box, right, from that standpoint. The other side of it was we have, you know, usually our second gen, who's grown kind of frustrated with the process and waiting, you know, wants to get out and get their own thing going. So they're going to be inclined to start the conversation, which, you know, poses its own set of risks, and they need to be prepared for that, which means if you're going to open up that door, you've got to be prepared to walk through it as to, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Because it's not all, you know, roses and caviar dreams, as uh, they say.
1: Yeah, exactly. So tell me about who is tasked with bearing this responsibility to have maybe the conversations or just to, to take it one step further. Once Pandora's box starts to get open, it seems like there's some, and I guess it could change, but there's some responsibility had to help continue on conversation. So is that what your group specifically would do? Or is that family good. members? Like how do people take one mini step past Pandora's box?
0: When we get engaged, it's usually because both sides have figured out they need some help. Right. That they don't they have this relationship or they're not really sure how to get the financials components together, how to structure. So they go, all right, let's let's bring in an advisor to help us with it. And that's usually where we get the call. And in those situations, a lot of times we're engaged to represent the transaction, not mom and dad and not, you know, Bob and Sally who are going to buy the company. It's help us figure out how to put this deal together because we want it to happen. In other circumstances, you know, we get engaged to represent one side or, or the other because you know, maybe, our, maybe our potential seller, first gen, has said, all right, well, I'll do this, but you better go find some people to work for you know, on your behalf. I've got my advisors here. You know. So now you need someone on your team who's going to help guide you.
1: I know situations with friends that are part of family businesses and as they grow up, and get married. Now spouses are involved. Maybe they start having kids and their kids' future is involved. So it seems like there's a lot of competing interests in some of these conversations with the second or third generation. So what are some of the suggestions to help people just get out into the open that they have these competing demands or deal with maybe some people's fear, other people's greed? In this prepare phase, how do you match up all of just the competing desires?
0: And there are a lot of them, but it's really about the transparency, you know, and I think you mentioned a great one is, well, we've got spouses or we've got kids and, and, and maybe I don't really like your spouse. Maybe I'm, con- you know, I'm concerned about the stability of that marriage. So if you're concerned about those things, you, as the, as the parent, you need to bring that up and say, I'd love to sell you the business, but these are my concerns. I don't want to see the business end up in your spouse's hands because I'm not comfortable that your marriage is going to survive really hard conversations to have. But again, if I'm the parent and I'm going to sell the company and I'm going to finance a piece of that, I need to know that there's there's stability there. So we've seen, we've actually seen those conversations. We had one where it was getting right down to the deadline to to sign and little marital issue blew up in the buyer's marriage and everything went put on hold, you know, to see how is this going to shake out. And to this day, it hasn't come back those terms because there is that that fear, that risk of likes we could be in a really bad situation and now this asset is gonna be in, in jeopardy.
1: Something else I'm thinking about just as a potential challenge is sharing the workload. Maybe a few family members feel like they're really carrying it on their back. They're working long hours. They're just giving it everything they've got. But there are other family members that are involved from an ownership standpoint that don't appear to be working as hard on it. What do some families do to, to reconcile the imbalances of work versus ownership?
0: So that one is really hard because there are some inherent biases in parents about fairness you know, the fairness doctrine of, well, we're going to give every child 20% of the business. Okay. Well that one doesn't work in the business. And this one really doesn't do anything with the business because they're, they're a waste of time, you know, but this one is busting their, you know, but in doing everything, growing the business, they should get the business. So dealing with the, the fairness doctrine is, is challenging. We have to sit down with, with mom and dad and say, there are other assets. You know, the business has to be treated like a business. And to the side here, so if we have a a child who really deserves to have majority interest or all of it, we have to allow that to do because that's what's best for the business and best for the family. Use other assets. You know, there's going to be real estate maybe, you know, the business. So use that. Use cash that's going to come from the proceeds. Provide a different avenue to make it fair. But you're going to just create a tremendous amount of resentment among those, those children if there's not equal lifting on, on the business.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's, that's a lot of difficult conversations can exist there. Let's take it one step further. Once Pandora's box has been open, people are having conversations. It seems like there's a little bit of momentum. Talk about what's all involved in that next phase, advancing the ball forward. How do people set expectations? How do people talk about timelines? What are some of the things that family businesses need to be thinking about?
0: So a little bit of it is just some back and forth about being clear what you're looking for on both sides. You know, if, you, if you're going to be the buyer, you know, and you've, you've got to have those conversations in advance with your spouse as to this is what it's going to take. This is, you know, what we're going to put at risk. And it's going to be more, more money than we have. So let, let's put that out there. So let's lay out for, for mom and dad what we can do from a financial standpoint to participate in this deal you know, be up, very upfront with that. And, and for mom and dad who are exiting, they also need to be very candid as to what they're willing to do on, on the business. We've seen situations where you think this is your child and you're you're charging him a premium. You're taking every last, last nickel out of it in the deal. And others we've seen who've been very, very generous about ensuring that transition. So you have to make sure that there's transparency as to why are you doing what you're doing and, and the benefit of it. So it, it all starts with just being transparent about what you're looking for establishing those expectations early because you don't want to get down the road and still be like, well, what are they looking for? You know, we're going to do a valuation as part of the process, but the valuation is not a hard and fast number. It is a guideline. You know, this is, this is a basis that we're going to use for our discussion, but it might cost you a lot more money than that, but you're going to pay for it over 20 years, or you might not get as much money, but you know, you've helped your children with it. So let's, let's think about how this, this works in the context of what you both need.
1: Can you share some more examples of clients you've worked with, families that you know, or just what some of those conversations look like within your own family as you're moving the ball forward and starting to talk about the valuation of the business and how much money would be required. And then once you're starting to get to like some financing conversations, which we can get to in just a minute, talk a little bit about just some of the conversations that typically happen at this point.
0: Some of the conversations are, very blunt about <laughs> marital circumstances, as an example. So one of our one of our clients, you know, there was a stepmother involved. There was not a, a good relationship. And, you know, had to have some real candid conversations about not wanting a situation where she was going to be, a, ended up in any potential way to be a partner. You know, challenging conversation to have. So you have those types. Or, you know, going back to, yeah, I've got cousins or brothers or sisters in the business. This is what I'm going to do and being again that transparency and clear about when i take over the business this is my plan and i think it's important for that next gen if you're looking at that think about the business in those contexts when you have this conversation what are you going to do differently you know how are you going to change the business what is it your what is your vision you know so almost do that strategic plan for the business well below before you even get to the pandora's box conversation hmm. if you can because you got to keep that keep that in mind
1: let's talk about financing this purchase of the business so for the second or third generation that's wanting to buy out mom and dad or grandparents what are just some of the common mechanisms for helping to finance these types of deals
0: one of the you know very common ones is employment agreements you know so we're going to keep mom and dad on payroll for 10 years or 20 years and they're just gonna they're gonna get money oh they own the real estate okay we're gonna increase the rent she's you know we're we're patriots fans out here so maybe you've got maybe dad's got patriot tickets and run through the business. Great. We'll continue to pay for that. You know, so some of those are the non-traditional things you might see that, that help ease the transition on a sale price and lower that number. Other things, you know, you might see is, you know, a seller note with very, you know, favorable terms or just low cash gifts. Gifting is obviously, you know, you know, very valuable as well. We're going to start to gift you shares and, and get you in okay. into the business. So,
1: it seems like one of the big differences then would be versus selling it to some third party, either being bought by a larger enterprise or just selling to you know a competitor or something like that, where it would be maybe more of a traditional m a where a large amount of cash and/ or stock is being yep. given at like one given time. It just seems like correct me if i 'm wrong here, maybe we'll walk us through this that the transition of buying out the boss a second generation, what that implies is little to no money down but then just paying out mom and dad for a long period of time so i guess what are the pros and cons if you think about it from each perspective a large upfront cash buyout versus a multi-year long tradition of continuing to get income
0: you know the benefit is obviously cash is cash you can put it in the bank you don't have to worry it's not at risk anymore so for mom and dad that you know allows you to sleep at night they're not tied to the business anymore there's you know as you know for a seller not having control of the business, yet still having your financial future tied to the business, you know, is is a... That could be a
1: tough pill to swallow, right?
0: It could be a very tough pill to swallow. But what that does allow for you, and every and every seller is different, it provides an annuity, you know, because, yeah, I can get a chunk of money up front, but with this way, maybe I can get a little bit of money up front, but then I've got this nice annuity of cash flow that's coming in, and I've got expenses that I don't need to worry about, you know, so... I don't have to tap that investment that I've got to live, and I don't have to worry about it as much as you know if the market goes down 10% or what what happens. So I've built a model where I've I've got a little bit more diversification in that, and I'm helping my children. You know, we do we do try to get you know a bank to finance some of the transaction if we can. You know, a lot of it's going to depend on what that balance sheet looks like for the company. You know, if it's already leveraged, it's harder. If there's plenty of room and we can we can afford the cash flow, then why not? Let's go get mom and dad some money. What we often see done too is we might have seller financing in the early stages, but have a balloon payment. You know, so let's say we're gonna say it's a five year note, but we're gonna amortize it over 10 years and you're gonna buy us out and go to the bank and get it refined then. By yeah. then you've shown, you know, you've built the balance sheet, you've shown your ability to run the company, it's larger, it shouldn't be an issue to do.
1: That makes me think how realistic is it to give the second generation the, you know buying out mom and dad some type of trial run or how is that even available so you know just to ensure before actually money's exchanged you know because the, the second generation might have new ideas about the vision they want to take the company or getting up to speed with having expertise or the the right contacts in the industry so like over what time period does a trial period potentially happen
0: You know in an ideal situation that second gen has been probably running the company for a few years, you know. Maybe not making all the final decisions because they're not the owner, but it has been really involved in the day to day and has proven that they have the ability to to run the company. One of the biggest issues we see is that when we sit down and talk to an owner and about their transition planning, you ask, "Oh, about the son or daughter or employee? They're not ready. They're they're not ready. They're not capable of doing this." They say, "Well, why?" What have you been doing the past 15 years they've been working here? Haven't you been mentoring them and building their skills and giving them responsibility so they can be in this position? I mean, you'd be amazed at how many have never thought about it from that standpoint. Mm. So now it comes to this crisis time where there's been an issue and they need to transition and second gen isn't is isn't prepared. So. Yeah.
1: That's hard to be able to hear because I could see a situation where second generation has been involved with the business for a really long time, but the you know, founder, first generation hasn't gone through extra time to educate or coach them or bring them up to speed or relinquish some amount of control to get them to a place where the business can operate without the founder. Yeah.
0: yeah and that's, you know, when we work with companies, you know, in the early stage, it's all about how do we make this company run without your involvement? If you're involved, that's great, but we really want to have a depth of a management team here and leadership that's going to be able to run. If something happens to you, you know, we call it the magic bus, right? If that proverbial magic bus hits you one day, what happens to the company? Mm. You know, those, those are the fear factors that tie into transition planning, you know? So you should have a contingency plan in the event that that happens, which means do I have a good leadership team? And if family members are in it, they should be in a good position to be able to take over the business with that so, that's what you want.
1: Another scenario I'm thinking about is second generation going through all of this process, having worked in the business maybe for years, and, and even the trend, maybe the deal is closed and they're continuing to finance it, but then something happens, life changes and second generation says, I want out, I wanna sell this, I wanna close it down. Have you seen scenarios where there's just been a change of heart after a deal is closed or about to close? I haven't seen a change
0: of heart but we've certainly seen changing life circumstances that have impacted that, you know, where we had one recently where, you know, parent had to come back in to run the company for a period of time, you know, due to an illness. That certainly wasn't, wasn't expected, but it happens, you know. So those scenarios do happen. And as a second, you know, that first gen, that can be one of the scary things too of a transaction internally is. I've got my financing here, I'm, you know, my children here, I'm going to have to jump back into this business, which is the last thing I want to do in my retirement years. So it's another another risk, but we've certainly seen that happen. On a sales standpoint, you know, we haven't seen a lot of sales happen, you know, by second gen, you know, in the first few years, but they do occur at some point. And as long as mom and dad get paid out, they're happy.
1: I guess so. Another question in regards to the emotional side of this, what else needs to be done to maintain the relational stability between, you know, first generation, second generation? You know, in a, in a silly way, I'm thinking about a family retreat and doing a ropes course and, a, you know, team exercises. But what needs to take place to something to that extent to ensure that there is relational stability?
0: I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, and it's going to sound as basic as it can, but good, solid communication. You know, if you have, you know, same page meetings, you know, once a week or every couple of weeks as to this is what we're working on, this is where the business is, you know, if you've got a good rapport and a communication about what you're thinking and can have a constructive conversation and get into issue discussion and solving, you're going to be fine. It's like everything else in life. Relationships come down to good communication. So it's important that you, that you establish that. One of the things that we've seen and reason we get engaged is we have first and second gen who have good relationships, and they don't want this process to damage that. So we get to come in and get to be, you know, sometimes we're the bad guy, sometimes we're the good guy, depending on what role we need to do. But the importance is to preserve that relationship. Yeah, because we are still family at the end of the day. And, you know, we want to see our grandchildren, and we want to see our mom and dad and be able to do those things that we've always done.
1: Michael, this is a really important conversation to be having, talking about buying out the boss, what's involved in succession planning for family-run businesses. Is there anything else that we haven't yet covered that you think is important to share with the listeners?
0: We've got a whole book full (laughs) of stuff. I mean, I think, you know, we're talking specifically from the the second generation standpoint, and I I can't emphasize enough is to understand what you're going to do with this business once you have it. You know, be smart about the steps you're going to take, you know, you know so much about the business because you grew up in it and there can be a tendency to overreact on certain things. You're going to deal with a lot of legacy costs, of things that mom and dad did that maybe you didn't know about or didn't want to deal with. So I think the key is to really have a good, solid plan of what you're going to do after you get through this. The other thing too, I think is when you go into this conversation, build yourself a really good team of advisors, right? Because you don't want to get bullied. I mean, not that anyone ever intends to bully their children, but it does happen. And know what your walkaway points are. You know, that's really, really important because we can get so obsessed with getting the deal done because we've had this vision of what's going to happen mm. that we give away too much. Yeah. So as much as it's family, you still got to treat it like a business transaction and know when to walk away.
1: Great points, Michael. Thank you for joining me. For those that are interested, check out Michael's website. It's van-group.com or his recent book, Buying Out the Boss. I'll put notes to that in our show notes here, and then you can check it out on Amazon. Michael, thank you again for joining us and hope you have a great day. Thanks, John, it was a pleasure. Thanks
0: for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.